We're going live, people. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Today, we are back at you again. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Okay, good. I had to do a setting adjustment there on our Zoom thing, but we're good. Guys, thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking about blood pressure. And um, the genesis of this entire talk began with a patient that we saw not too long ago, or that I saw rather, excuse me. Um, and I took her blood pressure and she's like, why do you have me sitting so long? It's been five minutes. Aren't you going to take my blood pressure? I said, there's a rhyme and a reason. There's a reason why we're doing this. And then fast forward, I saw her a week later, she brought me some articles and she said, I want you to read these. I think it might be pertinent to uh, patient education and it has everything to do with blood pressure. So Maria and I, we looked at those articles, we did our own research and we thought, hell, let's talk to you a little bit about blood pressure and how it's important in every single facet and what we do as physical therapists, whether they be at home, in the hospital, or here in the clinic and outpatient. And it also has to do with what we talked about earlier, Maria, which is competency. Students that are coming in, they need to understand how to take a blood pressure manually, not using an automated um, machine. So that's what we're going to talk about, blood pressure. Here we go. That was nice that she brought you some resources. Yeah, very thoughtful. Just Heavy that. reading. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what, too, that's really the ideal patient, right? And why we create this type of a podcast, because it puts out information for the patient to then reflect upon and then bring up in their sessions with the PT or with a provider. Yep. Um, if they didn't, then they wouldn't be doing themselves justice. They wouldn't be asking the questions to understand what the, first of all, policies are and procedures, but also for monitoring the patient for safety as well. Mm -hmm. And with these competencies, just to kind of remark on that, you know, if we have students that come here, we want to make sure that they're both confident and prepared to perform this assessment if something happens to a patient if they see uh, signs and symptoms of distress or needing us to take blood pressure they're prepared they can set up and they're not fumbling or in fear mm -hmm. and this is outpatient uh, in inpatient or acute care same thing these are normal competencies at first they've been cleared by school but also when they come here to do clinicals as well mm-hmm but, you know, I think the big thing is just, first of all, asking the patient if they have a history of high blood pressure that's medicated or if they have family history of hypertension or high blood pressure, first of all, do they know what their blood pressure is and do they take their blood pressure? So I always say to a patient, oh, they say, I have high blood pressure. Okay, is it medicated? Yes. But do you take your blood pressure daily? And I usually make the sign of putting my hand over my arm as if I were to take my blood pressure because sometimes they just identify like medication, like do I orally take it? Mm -hmm. And they'll say yes to me. But I have to visually show them that cue that are they actually assessing their blood pressure every day. Along that same vine, we have our normative values of what that number should be, right? The blood pressure, the top and the bottom number. Typically, it's 120 over 80. That's textbook. However, everyone's different. And what their doctors want their blood pressure to be, too. Exactly. So that's important to actually say, hey, do you monitor your blood pressure? And if you do, what is normal for you? Mm -hmm. Very important. And I think all of us have had our physicals. So we do, we could probably come up with or identify what potentially our blood pressure is. Um, if there is hesitation, like all the more reason to take someone's blood pressure mm -hmm. just to get some idea. Because someone that may be 
you know, in their 40s, their blood pressure is 120 over 80, and then the next person is 65 and older, and I may also get 120 over 80. So it just kind of depends mm-hmm. on what their physical activity is like, past medical history as well. Et cetera. Yeah. Uh, let's just do a little uh, blood pressure 101, taking you back. I think it's worth mentioning. Um, what the heck is even blood pressure? Uh, it's actually measuring the pressure in your arteries. That's what we're looking at. And it's measured in millimeters of mercury. And there's two numbers when you see it, right? You have a top and a bottom number. That top number is known as the systolic number. The bottom number is known as the diastolic number. And what is the systolic measure? It's measuring the arterial wall pressure when the heart is beating or when it's contracting. When we look at that bottom number, the diastolic number, that's measuring the arterial wall pressure between heart beats or contractions. That's important. It's going to be important when we actually utilize the manual reading of the cuff and the use of the stethoscope, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. How do we set it up? Because um, there's a lot of best practices when you actually measure someone's blood pressure, and there's a lot of common pitfalls too. So we want to try to avoid that so that we don't get these misreadings or improper readings later on. That's really important to consider. So uh, that's the 101 of blood pressure, measuring the blood pressure in your arteries, and we have numbers above and below a line which is the systolic and the diastolic numbers. And most of the time too, with blood pressure, I'm also just kind of a quick side note. I like to take heart rate and oxygen level. Thank you. So that's just another good thing for patient education to say, okay, your oxygen level is 94. Anything above 90 is where you want to be. Mm-hmm. You're on room air. That's great also. Hey, your heart rate, it is 84. We just got off of the bike, so it's a little elevated, but still within the norms. The norm 60 to 100 as well. Um, Thank you for bringing that up. That's huge. You got to have the whole picture, right? You really do, because I just want to also point out that if patients are on medication, that can also skew their readings. I think that's another subject all in itself, mm-hmm. because their blood pressure may say that they're ap- their they're absolute norm or they're functioning a little bit higher, but they may report a different exertion to what their blood pressure is showing. Mm-hmm. Um, that can get into some other assessments you know, such as the RPE scale that I quickly utilize for patients that are of cardiac care. RPE standing for? Rate of perceived exertion. Thank you, just wanted to clear that up. So there's two different scales. There is a zero to 10 scale, uh, which is probably the most updated. Mm -hmm. And the original one started as six to 20, which is significant of your potential heart rate. So if I said, Mike, how, Michael, how hard was it for you to climb those stairs on a scale of six being the easiest to 20 being the hardest? 18. 18. Okay, so if I were to put a zero on the back end of that 18, maybe that would be significant of your heart rate hmm. being 180 beats per minute, which sounds pretty. That's wicked high for my age. <laughs> um, yeah, for that's age. cardiac arrest city. I'm not that old though, but... Uh, not a good idea. <laughs> no, but I, most people can relate to the scale of zero to 10. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty commonly used, which I have usually laminated sheets held up for patients to check and keep me on tabs of how hard I'm working with them. But anyway, just to kind of touch base on seeing the whole picture, you've got the blood pressure, you do the heart rate, you do the oxygen. There could be other elements that you just want to put into your objective measures as well, right? So Maria, if we're going to measure somebody's blood pressure, because we suspect something's going on, Mm -hmm. 
whatever that might be, maybe they're dizzy, you want to rule out orthostatic hypotension. Mm -hmm. um, not that we would do orthostatics, because we suspect they're relatively normotensive, right? They have normal blood pressure, but something's a little wonky. Mm -hmm. How do you measure that with a manual reading using a cuff and a stethoscope? Well, even if they're 65 and older, most of the time I'm taking their blood pressure no matter what. But mm -hmm. if I were to assess that patient and I'm setting up for blood pressure, uh, first of all, you want to just lay out the boundaries. You want to make sure that they um, haven't eaten anything, they don't have a full bladder, their feet are resting comfortably on the floor, um, and there's no talking during this test. So that's too common for us to kind of make social with them. But just remind them that, hey, during this test, I'm probably not going to talk to you just so we can get through and get the most accurate reading as well. Mm -hmm. um, but once they're in that comfortable position, um, I would want to make sure to put the cuff on the patient, most commonly on the left side, unless there's any contraindications. So again, in that past medical history that we'll take, whether there's some type of implant put in in their arm, there's been surgical procedures. Uh, lymphatic tissue that's been removed mm -hmm. always say is it okay if I take your blood pressure on this side just to get confirmation that they're identifying what we're doing as well mm -hmm. so I've got them seated in a comfortable position I've reviewed any contraindications I'm putting the cuff on them and now I want to make sure I have the best cuff and the most accurate cuff on their arm as possible. Mm -hmm. So what I'm looking for is a cuff that is fitting snug, that's not too tiny. And I think one of the best ways, because we, when we looked up this information, we found um, the width sh uh, should not be uh, bigger than 40%. The circumference shouldn't be 80% in length. But I think a good rule of thumb that I saw in other resources was once you get that cuff on a patient, if you can place two fingers above the bend of the elbow but just below the cuff then you more than likely have like the best fitting mm -hmm. cuff um, there's alternatives to cuff placement but this is ideally where we would want to put the cuff right? okay so then at this point and this is where some of the strategies may differ is to assess you can use your stethoscope now to find your brachial artery but i like to find the radial pulse it's funny you mentioned that i tried that today to find that person's brachial artery during a blood pressure reading i couldn't find it so i had to go more distal or away from the body and i had to use the radial artery well and it's comfort um it's also a quick assessment to palpate their radial pulse um, and that's a good thing for patient education. Help me find or show me how you would find their, your radial pulse. And so for me, once I find it, then I can use my cuff and I'll pump the cuff up watching the dial to see at what distance or how many millimeters of mercury I have pumped up where now the radial pulse stops. Mm -hmm. Once I've identified that, then I know that my systolic number is going to be the number where the radial pulse has stopped. That's the top number, That's right? the top number. Cool. So at this point, now I will release the valve on the blood pressure cuff approximately 20 millimeters of mercury. While that's happening, I am then taking my stethoscope and looking for the brachial artery. And I'm gonna pump the blood pressure cuff back up past my systolic number 20 millimeters past that systolic number 
And this is where most commonly, if I were to ask a student, how high do you usually pump the cuff up? Well, someone will always say, I usually do 200. 200, 220 is typical from what I've heard. Yeah, but what little lady that is 90 and is small circumferential um, measurement of her um, humerus and arm would you pump that blood pressure cuff up past 200 years of mercury? No, they're I mean, going yeah, to be happy. Your grandma's arm's going to get bruised. Yeah, she's not going to so be happy. So you just want to have that knowledge and the appropriate setup. So again, you know, apply that type of pressure. And then after that, you'll release the valve while you're listening in the brachial, um, for the brachial artery through the stethoscope for the last beat to obtain your diastolic measurement. Perfect. Um, at that point, you know, you write down that information. You're also looking for any signs and symptoms. So if you do identify a high blood pressure, you right away, right away ask, are you having any pain in your chest, shortness of breath, pain in your jaw, mm-hmm. headache, arm pain, just to make sure that you are clearly assessing any symptoms, signs and symptoms that you need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, though, uh, many times with people that are living with hypertension, um, the symptoms are essentially silent. There's none a lot of times. So that's why they call it the quote unquote silent killer. Um, I think that's worth mentioning, but you really want to delve in there and kind of be observant. No, you don't want to kind of be, you want to be observant and go what's going on and then ask questions to see what that person is feeling because they could become diaphoretic, which is a sign, right? But they could be dizzy, headache, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, one of the other things that is most commonly assessed in the hospital uh, just, I'm not as frequently up in the hospital as mm. often as you are, Michael, but uh, usually if we're reporting to nursing or physicians, you know, hey, this patient's having high blood pressure, you know, these are their signs and symptoms, they're also asking you for your MAP. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good thing to bring up. Uh, the MAP is an acronym that stands for Mean Arterial Pressure. We have some normative values where we want to stay in order to treat someone. However, the critical cutoff is anything below 70 or 65, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's another important value to appreciate, understand, and know when you're working in an acute care setting. Because if they're below that 65, that person's going to drop out on you more than likely. They're going to pass out. Well, and the other thing that I like to talk to my patients about is your kidneys and your heart. They work hand in hand to mm-hmm. each other. So if you're not getting enough perfusion to your kidneys, then it's not going to help the stability of your heart and your internal system. So it's something to be aware of. It pops up on all the robo nurses, um, but I would definitely take it into consideration if the value pops up to something where it is less than 65 or greater than 110, Mm -hmm. uh, just to be aware of. But I think the big takeaways are you know, we're doing this due diligence for patients here when they come in, whether they're 65 and older or they report past medical history, but also, you know, put it down to the patient and say, how often, if you're not taking this daily, mm-hmm. you should be taking this daily. Um, the reports from the CDC or from the American Heart Association, they'll probably say one to two, two times a day two times in each setting. So I'm gonna take my blood pressure at 8 a.m. in the morning, and then I'll wait a minute or two, and then I'll take it again at that same time, Mm -hmm. and then I'll take it in the evening, six o'clock in the evening, one time, I'll wait a minute, and now I'll take it again. And keep a log 
I think it's such a good idea for physicians to see trends or you can take a log and also write how you feel because that's another thing is we have patients that come in after um, pacemakers or stents or events where they may not just feel like themselves and keeping documentation on how they feel and what their blood pressure is is a really good indication of first it could be motivating but it also would be concerning for the physician where they would take other steps. Definitely plot those data points. The more you have, the more ammo in your arsenal to say, hey doc, something's not right. I don't feel right. And, and here, I can show you what I've been logging. So having that personal log can be very beneficial. 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but I think additionally to also monitoring signs and symptoms. A person unfortunately may have high blood pressure. They may not have signs and symptoms. Um, and we can still do some therapy to what they can tolerate. Uh, I think it's just one of those things where you do want to provide education, the importance, the risks, the management, and then create a plan with you and the patient. Mm -hmm. Maria, I, I'd like to mention this. This is one of the articles that this patient actually left for us to read. Um, let me just read it to you real quick what the, uh, the title of the article is called. It's called, quote, why is the cuff size so important and other factors that affect accurate blood pressure measurements, end quote. And it came from the website www.medscape.com. And it's a best practices article written by three separate doctors. We have Dr. Welton, Yang, and Ebinger. I thought this was very, very important. And this kind of goes back to that patient that said, why, why the hell do you have me sitting here for five minutes before you even take your blood, my blood pressure? And this is why. The best practices say in order to take a blood pressure and to get an accurate blood pressure, there's several things you want to consider. Rest five minutes prior to that blood pressure reading. You want to wear the proper size cuff. You want to sit quietly. You don't want to cross your feet. You want to have an empty bladder. Preferably you want to put that cuff on a bare arm. You want to have them sitting where their back is rested against a backrest and you want to avoid caffeine among other things. But if you happen to do the complete opposite of what I just mentioned, you're going to have plus or minus improper millimeters of mercury values. It could be anywhere from five or 20 millimeters of mercury, depending on what we're looking at. It could even be as high as 50 on a change. So I think that's really worth considering. If you want to look at that particular article, you know where to go, check it out, look at the table that's presented there, and it'll give you what the best practices are, the pitfalls, and then the impact of what that reading would look like if you decide not to use the best practice. I think it's incredibly helpful as a new grad. And even if you aren't a new grad and you need a refresher, this is something worth looking at. Well, I think too, just to touch on, you don't want to imply fear to a patient if there's no reason for it. 100%, yeah. So if you did put that cuff on a bare arm, or sorry, over clothing, and the risk could be that you could have a blood pressure that is plus 10 to 50, which is quite high, that's enough to make a person get really scared if they know their own body and creating higher blood pressure than following. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, already there's the that term white coat syndrome. So some patients can come in already highly agitated or increased blood pressure. And then to do it over clothing could also just facilitate more worry to wear. And inaccurate reading. So yeah, pretty important in order to obtain the values that we need. Yeah, good stuff. It is good. I Most of the time here in outpatient, we use our manual 
tools mm-hmm. to assess um, in the hospital. We do have access to robo-nurses, which most commonly is what's used. I think in outpatient, though, I do prefer using a manual cuff. Me too. Um, just because some of our electronic ones have been a little inaccurate and the cuff size doesn't facilitate the best um, setup for patients. Like what I said, either they have been too big or too small, uh, and that's a, a problem. But the other thing too that I've talked to patients about is do they have access to any blood pressure cuffs at home or electronic um, tools at home that they can use? Because even if we say that um, the electronic blood pressure cuff is not, sorry, the automatic um, tool is not as strong at assessing, it's still enough to have consistency in taking it, but also to identify if you do have an abnormal reading you can take that machine to a medical facility or um, a place where they can check it for you and make sure that it is appropriately running. Um, One of the patients I was actually talking to today, and we had talked about this, I had mentioned it to you, Michael, was that some insurance companies will provide you with a stipend of money quarterly or monthly so that you can go online and purchase medical devices or DMEs. Like my patient today told me that she bought um, what did she buy? A wedge pillow. She has purchased a shower chair. Not too shabby. That's super. A food scale. Uh-huh. Uh, and I said, well, have you purchased a blood pressure cuff? And she said, no. And I said, well, you know, I really think that that would be beneficial whether you don't have high blood pressure or not. If something were to happen and change, you at least have access to it. So, you know, kudos to insurance companies for providing that stipend of money. And kudos to you for mentioning it because many people are not even aware that that's even available to them. I certainly wasn't aware. Yeah, we have to use our resources. I Mm -hmm. think that's like another big thing is even with this situation, use your resources, ask your questions, you know, make sure that they're aware that blood pressure is important to monitor. Guys, I I think that's it, right? Yeah, this was a little that turned into a lot. Yeah. It could be a lot more. No, absolutely. Um, Um, But this was a good start. I think there's more questions that if people have, more than happy to answer. Um, But also more topics to come from this. 100%. Guys, I I would like to say this to our students out there in student world. (laughs) Um, Practice a skill. It's a perishable skill. If you don't use it, you will lose it. And it's important that you know how to do both techniques, whether that be using a robo nurse, an automatic blood pressure reader, or using the old fashioned blood pressure cuff and stethoscope. Like I said, it's a perishable skill. Use it. Incredibly important. You'll, it'll be important in the, in the event that you ever have to use it and you don't know how you don't want to be in that position. Mm-hmm. That would be scary. Mm-hmm. Thanks everyone. Again, hoping to still get to a thousand listens. We can do this. <laughs> Big shout out to everyone that listens and thank you again. Yeah, guys, take care. Have a wonderful day. We love you. And thanks again for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye.